It's Tuesday, August 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser and Matt Argusinger. Happy Tuesday. Hey, Chris. It's Million Dollar Portfolio Tuesday. It's Million Dollar That's Portfolio right. Tuesday. And uh, as Tony Kornheiser says from time to time, the news fairy showed up. <laughs> yes, it's earnings season, he but the news fairy did. showed up late yesterday with Google's announcement of a new corporate structure. The new parent company is Alphabet, and no, I am not making this up. <laughs> uh, so they're basically splitting the company into two divisions. Alphabet is the new umbrella company, and basically, Maddie, if you if you look at a chart of this, I, I sort of group them into. I group the two divisions. One is Google stuff. One is non Google no, stuff. One is everything else. Yeah, one <laughs> one division is Google. It's search. It's maps. It's YouTube. 99% of the revenue, roughly. Yes, it is. It is the cash machine, and then on the other side, you have Nest. You know, the the smart home, Google X Ventures, life sciences, stuff. all that sort of thing. Um, I'm not lying when I say I had to read three stories late yesterday before I was convinced this was real. <laughs> I was thrown by this. Well, I, I yeah, I re- actually read Larry Page's uh, letter a couple times. Um, I. I had a visceral reaction. I think like a lot of investors did <laughs> to the name Alphabet, which, which you shared on Twitter, which I did. I saw you know, that. kind of uh, in a biological reference. But uh, this makes sense on certain levels. I mean, there is there's something to building a forest instead of building a single tree, um, and I think uh, there's a lot of companies that have successfully done that. And I think to Google's credit, they recognize that they have an incredible cash cow in Google in the business of Google search advertising. YouTube, um, and that 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 has fed a lot of these different ventures and exploits over the last, gosh, ten years now. And there's some clarity that needs to happen around some of those. I think there's investors in the market in general is worried that you know, hey, where is all the investment going? Where is all this amazing cash flow that the Google business is producing? I mean, it's it's hitting the bottom line, but at the same time, a lot of it is being invested in all these uh, you know sort of disparate businesses. And I think. There's something to um, create, and, and supposedly by the, according to the letter, by the fourth quarter, they'll they'll kind of segment out the business. So you'll, you'll get the Alphabet business, you'll get the Google business, you'll get to understand, you know, exactly what is coming out of this Alphabet business, if anything, in terms of revenue and cash flows. Uh, I think there's a lot of chatter in the market about this being okay. Well, what Google's doing is creating the Berkshire Hathaway of of tech. I think that's wrong. I mean, Buffett doesn't buy. You know, or he, I'm sorry, he doesn't start companies. He goes out and buys companies. Uh, Google's building. I, I like to think of this as this is Google creating a venture capital fund. It's called Alphabet. They've got this great uh, initial investment winner in Google, and now they're they're you know planting seeds elsewhere. So think of it as a as a big venture capital. Yeah, fund. I've seen the Berkshire Hathaway comparison. I've seen this is General Electric for the 21st century. It's a little better, a little better comparison. Um, let me go back to the transparency thing because I've I've heard that not just from you but from others that well this is why they're doing it. Look, these are smart people. These are very focused business people. This can't be. We're redoing our corporate structure because we want investors to have more clarity into our business. I, I agree. I agree. And maybe I'm probably overstated the pressure there for that. I, I just maybe it's a, the better thing is to say it's a refocusing. I think they they want to focus. Uh, they want to they want the business itself, the structure itself, the employees at Google to under, to focus and drive towards. Uh, you know one. So you know Sundar Pichai, who's taking over, he's a product chief. He's taking over Google. 
they want all the focus and effort there to be on enhancing the search business, enhancing the experience there, uh, you know, increasing the, the value that advertisers are getting out of the platform. Uh, and then all the focus elsewhere can be to those other businesses, and there's clear leaders uh, leading all of those. Yeah, Cinder uh, Pichai, very highly regarded, now will be the CEO of the Google division. There was some talk that, well, that Twitter was trying to woo him over, and and you know, to your point, it, it, you know, w- one of the added bonuses of this move for Larry Page and Sergey Brin is that there are more CEO titles to hand out. And not that this guy didn't earn it, but that is sort of a nice sort of ripple effect. If 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 part of your pressure in running this business is how do I keep talent in house, that's great, one more great point. Slight added bonus. It is. I mean, you know, I, I so I was looking at this yesterday. It's funny. We were doing an MDP live chat yesterday afternoon. And when we got done with it, um, you know, it was like six o'clock, and I just was surfing through the news tab on Twitter, and this was the first thing at the top of that news oh, tab. And, and we had so Maddie and I kind of looked at each other, and I told like, like everybody's in the room. I said, "So Google is going to become Alphabet," and like nobody in the room took that seriously. Everybody thought it was just a joke. So to your point, yeah, I mean, I think it took it took us all a little bit by surprise. I mean, I think there are pros and cons to the whole Alphabet thing for Google, but I think for better or worse, it, it definitely speaks. To the limits of the Google brand, and what I mean by that is, you know, when when it's just Google, and you know they make their money via search and advertising, and then they take all of these other moonshots like Maddie's talking about. You know, it's it's I don't know that someone's going out to buy a Google car or a Google refrigerator or wants to buy Google insurance because the name Google. I don't know about you, but the first thing I think of is they're trying to sell me an ad. They're trying to target me for some kind of advertisement, or and it's so, a tool. It's a tool of someone. It's not necessarily you know. It, it enables me to do other things, but it's not the enabler itself. It's right. Not I'm just not the. the end. I'm not the customer of Google. I'm the product, really, at the end of the day. And I think you know perhaps this will allow them to steer away from that. Uh, you know, I think on the flip side, I mean, I don't think that Page and Brin are going to come close. To giving their CEOs the same kind of leeway that Warren Buffett gives his at Berkshire Hathaway. Um, so, I mean, for me, like for people to say, "Oh, it's a Berkshire Hathaway 21st century," I think it's a stupid comment. I mean, it's not even <laughs> close. I think it's dumb. I think that really is dumb. Well, and to what I think we, it's a cop out, is what I think. To what we talked about recently with regards to Ruth Porad, who's the new CFO, and and you know, getting high marks early on in her tenure as CFO as Google. I mean, beyond just sort of what sort of leeway are Page and Brin going to give their executives? I don't know that Ruth Porat is going to give them uh, a blank check either. And and you know what? If you're a Google shareholder, you should probably feel good about that. Possibly, but again, there are a lot of unknowns here. And I mean, that you know, on the one side, certainly, I think it was Larry Page who had always sort of referred to Berkshire Hathaway as that great model for running a big, complex organization. And I'm I'm not begrudging Google for doing this. I see why they're doing it. I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea. But I also don't want. I don't want people to just look at this through rose-colored glasses and say, "Oh, well, it's just so benevolent of Larry Page and Sergey Brin to do this." Because I think at the end of the day, this really is going to afford them the freedom to go take all those moonshots and do those kind of nutty things that they want to do. And some will pan out, and some won't. Uh, but but I think that definitely this is a way to give them more of an ability to do that with less scrutiny from the investing world. And and you know, but we can belittle the name. But I, I mean, I do. If you, you know, hold on a second. Let's belittle them. Okay, okay, a little more. Just, sure. just for one second, because I, because I did, I did want to say this. For whatever, for whatever they thought of this name going in, 
that is absolutely part of, I'll just speak for myself, part of my trying to wrap my head around this is tied up in the name Alphabet. If they had just come out and said, we are unveiling a new corporate structure, and we're going to be, um, the parent company is Google Ventures, and one division is Google, and the other division is something else, and that, like, mm-hmm. but the fact that they chose Alphabet, I think I, I'm I'm sure I'm not alone in just going. Wait a minute, I couldn't get past the name. Yeah, yeah. Well, to, to Larry Page's credit, I mean, he ended the letter with saying, "Don't worry, we're still getting used to the name too." So you know, I, I can you can tell. I mean, I bet you that is a little bit uh, for the insiders there. I'm sure there are a lot of employees who Google saying, "I work for a company called." Alphabet now. This is this. Right. Is I'm kind of surprised we're not seeing sort of a Quickster sell-off here. Like the market uh, yeah. seems to the be at least a little like bit it. enthusiastic about this. And mm-hmm. I get. I mean, again, I mean, I, I let me be very clear. I don't think this is necessarily a bad idea. Um, I mean, Google is a big business, and in order for them to continue growing, this is probably one of these things that they really need to do. But yeah, I mean, we were talking about this earlier. Like Alphabet is like Alphabet.com is not available. They, they Alphabet didn't Twitter secure, handle is not available. They did not secure the Twitter handle. They did not secure the URL. Interesting. And that. I could be wrong, but that tells me that they rushed this announcement. They wanted this announcement out mm-hmm. the door, and they didn't care about not having the URL or the Twitter handle secured. By the way, happy happy news for uh, <laughs> Chris Andrikanich, who is a guy in Cleveland, who years ago, when he set up his Twitter account, set up at Alphabet. So good for him. Good for Cleveland. A, wow. <laughs> Cleveland needs a win. Another win for Cleveland. I don't know that this is a win <laughs> for Cleveland, well, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure there is going to be a check coming to Chris Andrews. I Andrew think Cook. so. It's Sixty billion plus in the can't bank, right? I mean, that's just boy, you could really, really go to wow. town with that. The other thing I can't get my head around, and and I don't have nearly any sort of um, mind for uh, corporate tax structures, but but I look at this, and I'm I'm wondering if. In addition to providing clarity, and maybe to what we were talking about earlier, Maddie, maybe part of the clarity is the driver of the clarity is yes, investors get more clarity, but we as a company and all of our employees and managers and executives, we're going to have more clarity. So that may have been the driver. But what I, I'm not clear on is does this new corporate structure give Google additional advantages or powers that they, you know, that they didn't have a week ago? Can this new corporate structure Acquire companies faster? Does it have maybe some tax benefits that it didn't have before? And again, that's I'm 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 waiting, frankly, for someone much smarter than me to write that story. Oh um, well, the, I don't know if you're going to find it sitting at this table here. Yeah, I'm not but, waiting on you guys. I'm waiting. <laughs> on well, that. it depends on how they how they actually do it. There's not actually a lot of we don't really know exactly how they're going to divide this up and segment it out. But there are things you can do in this structure. I mean, you can have, for example, you can have debt at the holding company that that is away from the sort of lower subsidiaries, so that they can do things that have more flexibility. Because that's the difference here. It's a holding company that will oversee a number of different companies. Right. Or conversely, you can have different debt structures at the subsidiary levels that don't impact the holding company. So there's a lot of things they can do with that new structure. I think that's a good point, Chris. But so two two things that make it a little more like Buffett. I mean, I think we've clear that it's not a good comparison. But the the two Berkshire things they're doing, and they are. Parent Page was pretty clear that they are controlling compensation. So he and Sergey Brin are going to control the compensation of all the executives running. All these businesses. That's something you know. That's one of the big things that Buffett does with in Berkshire Hathaway, and the one variation of Alphabet. You know, if you divide that up, Alpha Bet. Um, you know, it's Alpha's re- an investment return above the benchmark. Uh, that's generally what it's construed in the investment world, and so that makes me think. You know, hey, the, at least they're thinking in terms of hey, we want to make bets 
that are market-beating bets. Um, you know, we're going to hold ourselves accountable to something. It may not be the market, but some kind of benchmark about it for returns. And so this isn't us just firing endless moonshots that don't end up anywhere. So that's that's one one aspect of the name that I'm a little more comfortable with now than I wasn't last night. It will be interesting to see all this all play. I would, yeah. I mean, I think I would love to see them steer away from trying to become the Berkshire Hathaway of the 21st century and be, you know, redefine it, be the Google or be the alphabet of the 21st century. You know, that and that to me, like for everything that Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger have done right. Hey, Sergey and Larry, they can go off and make their own path here. They've done it so far, and, and I mean, I trust that they'll be able to do it going forward. So let's make this, you know, the new. Google or Alphabet. And when you look at the reaction in the market today and the stock bumping up as a result of this, it clearly people are giving them the benefit of the doubt. Sure, as they should. I mean, the the track record. And we we own, you know, we own the stock, Jason, in million dollar portfolio. And I, you know, to me, it is it is sort of that venture capital conglomerate that we own, a fund, if you will, that uh, can can do can take do some amazing things still. And so, yeah, I mean, you look at the sort of the set. I mean, that's. The company has sort of hit a point where they're facing some serious headwinds on the search front, on the ad front, with this you know this transition to mobile and apps. Um, yeah. Apps. I mean, we're we're getting our information new ways, and so I mean, I think that you know for Google shareholders today, you have to be encouraged by the fact that they want to get out there and try other things. Uh, I mean, YouTube, for example, how 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 man, how well has that done? I mean, that was just such a wonderful bet on their part. So I mean, we want to see them be able to do more things like that. And I think this will enable that, which which is uh, you know, gotta be encouraging for shareholders, I think, for the decades to come. There were other earnings news today. Uh, let's go to Shake Shack. Second quarter profit higher than expected, revenue up seventy five percent. They raised guidance. That's that's kind of the triple threat right there. The stock is up as a result. It's a hell of a burger. That is a hell of a yeah. Have you of, ever eaten at Shake Shack? I have not yet. Have I have not. I have not either. So we're <laughs> oh, here we are. We're a room full of ignorance yeah. here. But <laughs> well, mean, we're we're going to talk about their expansion plans in a moment. Surely, but, but uh, must be a good burger based but, on must the growth. But it, it, no, it seems like they they put up a good a book uh, a good quarter. Absolutely did. You know the thing I've always uh, thought about Shake Shack. You know, I've never really questioned that they can be successful, but from an investing perspective, you know, I look at a company like this and think is the market opportunity there? Is that is that attractive enough to really warrant wanting to look at this? Is it is it a differentiated enough concept and again, not having been there, I can only speak to sort of what I read and hear. I mean, it it seems like it's it's a good burger place, uh, but but they're obviously doing something right. I mean, they grew same store sales or same shack sales as they like to call it, thirteen uh, percent, which is very very solid um, compared to four and a half percent last year. And you know, I think that when you when you look at, they have a tremendous presence here on the East Coast, particularly in New York. So the question I have is, are they are they going to be able to sort of translate that brand across the country? Because they've done so internationally, I think internationally they've done well with their license stores. Granted, they're license stores, so they're not as profitable. Um, so that, that's that's the big question I have. And you know, with a company this size, especially with such a concentrated ownership um, in Leonard and Green and Select Equity Group owning, you know, almost fifty percent of the company, really about fifty percent of the company to date. Uh, I you know it's not one that I'm like oh we've got to be a part of this story it's it's I've I've enjoyed following it I'm just I'm still not sold on the market opportunity I think if I ran a restaurant I think if I were Bojangles the the first thing I would do in terms of expansion or any restaurant for that matter I would pick a couple of locations somewhere in the heart of New York City preferably near Wall Street or near 
where the media companies are based, because I think at least a little bit of what has been going on with this company and this story is they're right there mm. where good point. they're at the sort of the center of media in the United States. And it's so, a New York story. It's a, it is a New York story, and so that's and so they, they get a little bit more credit, I think, than they deserve, just because they're doing well in New York. That's uh, well. So Big Lorry Holdings, which is another company I follow, they they own the uh, Steak and Shake brand. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. a cheaper you know burger joint, uh, certainly not a uh, Shake Shack, but they opened a store in New York City right next to Dave Letterman's studio mm-hmm. near Times Square because they knew that David Letterman's a huge uh, Steak and Shake fan. He grew up in Indiana where the company started, and so. Um, and that's kind of their flagship leader, but you know they've come out and said, "Oh, it's a loss leader for us." But hey, that's that's our brand right there that we're kind of on display, and we're doing it in one of the most populated, you know, biggest cities in the world, um, and uh, that's paid off for them. But I gotta say, I mean, let, let, <laughs> I mean, here we are, Shake Shack, right? I mean, you, Jason, yeah, good burger place, great. Good, this is a this is a burger place right now that has seventy one restaurants, um, and if you take the market market cap of the company. Um, each of those restaurants is currently valued at thirty-eight million dollars each. That I'm seems sh- fair, right, Maddie? Sure. Every one of those burger places is bringing in thirty-eight million dollars a year, right? Oh, of course, right. I mean, wow. So, but you know, just for some comparison, we have if you look at Chipotle, which you know I'd, I'd fit into the sort of a niche fast casual concept uh, that's also growing kind of at, you know not at quite as fast as Shake Shack, but growing very nicely. Chipotle has 1,800 restaurants valued at about $13 million each, so about a third of the value of an average shack restaurant. Now, you know, there's, it's maybe not an apples to apples comparison, but that seems a little, leaves a little out of, out of whack for me. So, um, even though the stock has come down, even with the bump up today, it is down from its high of $90 oh, a share. Oh, it's, you're looking at this and saying, this is still way too expensive. Way, way too expensive. And you know, it's, it'd be one thing if they, this was a concept that was opening 50 to 100 stores a year, and you think, well, well they can grow into it. No, no, I mean, they're, they're talking about opening 12 stores next year. That's what I wanted to get to because I, I just I, I looked at that and I thought, wait a minute. You are a company that is, from the standpoint of the stock, you're a growth story, or at least that's what you want to convey to investors. And Lumber Liquidators, which is doing damage control like <laughs> no other business in the world, <laughs> it's a different business, but they are in total damage control. They're going to open more locations in the next year than Shake Shack is, and I'm not sure if that's a testament just to sort of you know how slowly Shake Shack is moving it along, or just really the misguided the priorities of, of Lumber Liquidators, yeah, <laughs> Lumber Liquidators management <laughs> opening stores in the face of a such a tainted brand. But um, I mean, yeah, I mean that goes back to my sort of market opportunity question yeah. because you, you look at something like Chipotle that's opening up 170, 200 stores a year. I just don't see and how this company grows into its valuation. I don't. I don't, I don't either. And and, and, I'm, and I, I feel like I'm a disruptive rule breaker kind of investor. Right. I mean, I like. New concepts like this, I think Shake Shack's got a nice concept. Uh, I don't see how how they could grow into this two billion dollar plus valuation. No way. And I think uh, it's worth pointing out something that you touched on before we started taping, um, because uh, I think it's important to uh, touch on the short interest in this stock and what it's doing. Yeah. So, so you know, this we kind of mentioned earlier. This is a very tightly held company. Mm -hmm. So the float, the the float out there is about only six million shares, which for a company of this size is is a very tight float. And the float again is the shares that are trading on the open market market. for you, not controlled by insiders, right? Exactly. Uh, And so, and forty percent of that six million, forty percent of those shares are sold short at the moment, uh, which means obviously there's a huge amount of of institutional investors, well, and maybe individual investors betting against Shake Shack. And but what that 
that does, of course, is that that creates a little bit of latent buying power. You know, if if Shake Shack does have good results in the short term, um, you can have a lot of investors who will cover those shares and effectively buy the stock. Uh, and so it's a weird situation with Shake Shack. I feel like it, it could almost hold up here at these prices because of the heavy short interest. Um, but we know that's changing, Jason, because yeah. they are they are doing a secondary offering of four million shares. But it's mostly for insiders. I'm not exactly sure how that's. I mean, that will increase the float. Um, and I think it's you know if I, I early when I saw that they were doing a secondary offering, I thought, hey, that's that's with the valuation that you have. That's a really smart thing to do. But but that doesn't sound like it's going to any. You know, it's being issued to outside shareholders or banks. That's that's coming basically enabling insiders to sell their shares. Yeah, it sounds like Leonard and Green are going to be the direct beneficiary of that. Right. Um, again, I mean, you want to see secondary offerings where the money's going toward the company so it can grow. Mm-hmm. But you know, you can't be rushed investors cashing out on their investment either. Um, and so, but I think I think to Maddie's point, this this does almost double the float. Actually, which is I, I think a good yeah, thing ultimately. Um, well, it, but it also it, for Shake Shack should watch out here because what that does is that'll increase well the amount of shortable shares, but it also yeah. you know you might see some options now come around Shake Shack because there's more liquidity in the market. When you know, I guarantee those puts people are going to be buying those puts on this thing. I I, I, I think I don't want to damage. You know. The biggest tell for this is going to be to see how it could it, like if it, if they went out to really how successful can, can they be in California? Like we're in and out burger is like a religion there. And so I mean, you see on the West Coast it's in and out burger. On the East Coast here, apparently it's it's uh you know Shake Shack. Um, but they have, but so you have five guys. I mean, I feel like right. There's just yeah. so many concepts. Yeah. And like so burger joint. Like when I think of Chipotle, I think hey man, this is this is the, the fa- this is the ultimate fast casual. Mexican style restaurant. Yeah, I, I there's a, there's a do, at least a dozen quality burger joints. I mean, I, there's right here in Alexandria. I feel like there's three or four quality elevation burger, burger, burger joint, all burger. sorts yeah. of places. And, and again, kind Z of like burger. the craft brew movement, a lot of these burger places are really very local, right? We're seeing a lot of local success um, with, with these burrito or with these burger places, and that's not necessarily translating into other styles. So, you know, that that's another challenge that they face. And I think you even see Five Guys suffering a little bit at, at the uh, you know at the hands of that. So, thanks for being here, guys. All right, thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. Show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.